Crazy Chester Radio Hour. My name is Andreas Warner. I'm a record producer, songwriter, and owner of Crazy Chester Records. The theme song you just heard is performed by Wet Willie's Jimmy Hall and Funky Chester. The Crazy Chester Radio Hour is a weekly music talk podcast featuring an eclectic group of guests with musical hearts, minds, and souls. And many of the episodes will dive deep into the rich history of music mecca muscle shows. My guest today is Josh Hoyer. Josh is an artist, musician, and songwriter from Lincoln, Nebraska. His band Josh Hoyer and Soul Colossal are one of the most exciting live bands out there with a sound combining soul, funk, and rhythm and blues. They've released five albums and have performed all over the U.S. as well as Europe. Make sure to catch one of their high-energy live shows when they're visiting a town near you. Josh, welcome to the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. Thank you so much for being my guest today. You're going to be playing at the City Winery mm-hmm. uh, tonight. Uh, this is not live, so you will have already played there by the time people hear it. But I certainly look forward to seeing you guys perform tonight. i got a few friends coming out, too, who need some soul music. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So you grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes, sir. And I read that a certain John Mellencamp song got you started. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, my folks, uh, when I was six, they put me into a uh, conta, talent contest at my dad's high school where he taught. And that's what that's a song that we all chose or whatever, I guess. So, yeah, that's the first time I sang in front of people like that, performed. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, from those humble beginnings, though, you're now, like, you know, touring the world. You just came back from Europe early this year, mm-hmm. where you also cut a live record in Belgium. Yes. But uh, you continued singing in, in choirs throughout school, too. Did yes, I get sir. Right? Yep. And uh, I guess a certain teacher was instrumental in getting you to appreciate jazz and improvisation more. Can you tell Very me a little much. bit how that, yeah. how that all went? Yeah, I, uh, you know, in... in, in grade school junior high and high school I was always in choirs and that was kind of my uh, my safe place you know place where I felt very at home and uh, I was in the show choirs where you sing and dance and do the show choir thing uh, up until my junior year of high school and then uh, the teacher Tim Scherer he heard in my voice that I had the ability to to basically create on my own had very good pitch and was able to improvise but hadn't really done it before because everything else was just kind of scripted music. So, um, you know, I was at, at that time, I didn't really understand what I was getting into, but uh, after going into that choir and um, embracing jazz vocal vocalization, uh, 
it really opened a lot of other doors for me. So he, he heard that in my voice, which was interesting to me. I mean, I just a kid that loved to sing, and uh, he really opened some doors for me. So, right. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like, um, when you when you learn that you have the ability to create, that was the thing, you know? Like, um, there's a whole nother power in that. There's a whole nother uh, experience in that, rather than just singing in the choir. You know, he opened up that door to say, you know, you have the ability to imagine whatever comes out of you. Yeah, and a certain that, element of freedom. Right, and expression, you know, that, that I kind of craved at that time in my life, and I, I think I've embraced going forward. And, um, you know, uh, I love to write, and uh, just the element of improvisation is, is pretty important. So, yeah. And you also played, started playing the sax around the same time? Yeah, I started playing saxophone in fifth grade and uh, was in band all through uh, elementary and junior high and high school. Yeah, and uh, still, I haven't, I haven't played, picked up my horn in a while, but uh, yeah. well, I, you got I should a few probably do that. great horn players in your band. So. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky that way. And uh, how does one get exposed to soul music and rhythm and blues in Lincoln, <coughs> Nebraska? I get that question a lot. Um You know, I, uh, after getting into jazz from that jazz choir, I, you know, I dove into that genre pretty thick, you know, just going to, you know, buying albums and, and learning about uh, various artists. And then uh, there's a club there when I turned 21. Actually, when I was 19, I discovered the Zoo Bar in Lincoln. And this is a blues club that's been open for 44 years um, in the same location there in Lincoln. And uh, I used to hang out in the alleyway and listen to the, the blues coming out through the, the vent in the, in the wall. And uh, it just, that was a place where you had people that were, bands that were traveling from Chicago to Kansas City or passing through the middle of the, the U.S. had nowhere to play. And uh, Larry Beamer, the guy that opened the zoo bar, provided a place for them to stop in the middle of nowhere And, man, you get to hear the best of the best uh, traveling through our little town. And, um, you know, people don't think of Lincoln as a music city, but it's it's got some things happening. And I think the Zoo Bar has a great deal to do with that. So, Yeah, and you got to be a sideman with, with some of the, you know, local blues people, too. Like, uh -huh. uh, I guess, Magic Slayman and Nick Holt. Yeah. And I, Nick Holt is still doing it, isn't he? Nick passed away. Oh, Nick and, passed away yeah, now too. Yeah, he he passed away before Magic did. Okay. But uh, yeah, that was and and there's another guy that was uh, two other guys that were local there, um, uh, out of Lincoln that were just killer monster players. Uh, a guy by the name of Sean Benjamin, um, who was probably one of the best guitarists I've ever heard, and uh, and then his uh, keyboard player or. Uh, Jim Sidlick is the name of the guy that plays keys and sings, and he was phenomenal. Had a band called Little Jimmy Valentine and the Heart Murmurs, and phew, out of this world. Um, so, you know, those guys and Nick Holt and Magic Slim, you know, I mean, that's a good mentorship for a town called Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, where you wouldn't think that there would be just these killer roots players, blues players. Um, so that that definitely open my eyes to what can be done uh, with the music um, and it, it taught me how to 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 really uh, play from my heart and uh, understand like the kind of like that, that guttural and and 
just supreme power of playing blues, you know, when you really get into a song and you're able to, I don't know, kind of embody it, right? Yeah. You learn that right up close from these guys. And um, Nick Holt, particularly as a singer, taught me how to, to deliver um, a vocal, and uh, I learned a lot from him. So, yeah. Yeah, now you've been a band leader and front person for, for quite a while, mm -hmm. and I read that that uh, E.C. Scott, taught you quite a bit about being a band leader and, yeah. and run a band. How, yeah. how, how did you learn there? What are the some of the lessons you learned? You know, I mean, EC, she just, uh, she, she did that all on her own. She's been independent since day one. And that's something I really admired because this business can be extremely difficult trying to, you know, build your name if you're not on a label or if you're not on a, an agency or with an agency. Um, so I, just at my my period of time when I was thinking maybe I can do this that's when I got to go on the road with EC and I just she carries herself with a professionalism that uh, is unparalleled in my opinion and very uh, business oriented um, she, she has good relationships with all the club owners and you know I mean she just she handles it like a business and uh, she treats her players very well and I don't know uh, there's no telling her no either you know that's the thing like she's just she knows what's up and she knows what she wants and she works her tail off to get it and she you know uh learned a lot from that and what it takes to to build something in this this industry yeah work ethic and certainly yeah and you she also you know she always played you know the songs that she plays as well she knows what what the crowd favorites are and she plays those songs every night and uh, is able to really get in touch. I mean, musically, she really reaches out to people, so that's another thing I learned, not just the business aspect, but also um, every night it felt like uh, we were all together, right? It wasn't just here's the performer on stage and here's the crowd and we're separate. It was everybody was together, and she really was able to bring people in on what she's doing and, and made them feel like they were part of something special, so that musically um, as well. So. And I feel that that's come with a lot of R&B performers that it's really about serving the audience rather than kind of just, you know, looking inward and trying to fulfill your own whatever that might be. It's mm -hmm. always like these people, they came here, they paid their hard-earned money to, to see me perform, and it is my job to serve them. Right. Did you feel some of that too? Yeah, that and Magic Slim taught me that too. He said, you know, this isn't about you, this is about the people in the crowd. Um, I find it interesting, though, that 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 is, you know, that that definitely is a truth. But in order to play, in my opinion, and play soul music or R and B in a in a way that that really um, connects to a crowd, is that you have to be very in tune with how you're feeling, and it has to be an emotional performance every night. So you have to dive way down inside yourself as well at the same time, and you just give that to people. Yeah, That's what you're the giving them, from right? There. Right. So, so you lived in around Lincoln for most of your life, but you spent a short while in New Orleans too. Mm -hmm. How did that experience kind of inform your music? Um, I learned, uh, you know, in New Orleans, I learned that music is a way of life, and that it's it's something that's not uh, extra. It's something that's at the center of life, and and it, I think it made me understand that it's okay that this is what I am kind of 
uh, geared towards doing. My personality is just driven to be a musician, and that's okay. You know, you're kind of in other cities or places you could be taught that this is just something that you could do after your day job right yeah. like you go to work nine to five you do your thing and then you know you want to go play with your buddies or whatever and in new orleans is that is you Way can be life. that you can yeah. be that you know and there's a lot of people that are that and they're not stars they're not you know it's not this unattainable thing it's a thing that's a community-based uh you know relationship amongst musicians in that city and every every corner of the t- of the town you experience music so that you know definitely opened my eyes to 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 realizing it's okay for me to dream this dream that i'm dreaming yeah and you had an earlier band called electric soul method uh-huh what was that band like uh that was that was an r&b group uh and it was full of killer players uh many of which have gone on to do really great things um and uh yeah that was that was uh, r&b soul funk all kind of melted together uh there's a couple of young guys in the band that uh are now just doing great things nick semrod is uh was the keyboardist and he's playing with Corey henry and the funk apostles now and then has done some touring with uh, lauren hill and uh He's played with Bootsy Collins. Bootsy called him up, said, "Hey, can you come play some shows?" And so he's doing very well for himself. And then uh, Luke Kellison was the bass player, and he's worked with George Clinton on a number of records. And so it, it was pretty neat little group there. Uh, our guitarist Luke Polipnik is a renowned jazz guitarist, and this is a little band out of Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, so it was it was pretty cool. Um, and I'd say that was probably my first. Uh, shot at, at writing um, soul and R&B tunes, uh, funk tunes. Um, that was probably the first time I, I got to really write anything that was that was played by musicians of that caliber. I've always experimented with writing that kind of music, but I think we brought it to life at that point. So that was it was a good first step. Yeah, and after the stint in that band, you did a little bit of a musical detour and did a few albums with Sons of 76. Mm-hmm, yeah. That was a little more, I guess, I don't know if singer-songwriter mentality is the right yeah. step, but it's less of a show-oriented yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah. That's I wrote three records under the moniker Son of 76, and I'm very proud of those records. And I, and I love the songs very much. Um, you know, I... I guess I'm maybe I'm interesting somewhat because I, you know, I've dabbled in a lot of different styles of music. Um, um, I guess being in the Midwest, you you have a lot of different influences that maybe you get from from record. It's not something like a regional, right? So I'm not from the Bayou, and I'm not just going to play Zydeco, or I'm not just going to play Chicago blues because I'm from Chicago. I'm from the Midwest, where I've had a number of influences. So. Uh, yeah, that was more of kind of a, a singer-songwriter. We touched on some New Orleans music, uh, some Americana, rock and roll, a little bit of country tinge to it, too. And uh, I love those songs a lot. But, uh, you know, my buddy in Lincoln, uh, Tony, he said, uh, man, I love to come see you guys, but every time I see you, I just want to kill myself because <laughs> your songs are so depressing, man. He's like, you need to get back to playing some, some happy music for people. And that resonated with me. You know, I mean, it's, 
I think there's a power obviously in, in, in great songwriting and um, one of my favorite artists right now is Jason Isbell and just you know I mean the great stories um, but for me I think my home is more geared towards uh, uplifting soulful funky music so yeah. I got back Grooves. into that groove yeah 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 so that's what you did you you kind of I guess let depressing music fade away a little bit and you started Josh Hoyer and the shadow boxers yeah and you made that first record I guess on your own yeah. too um after that you you renamed the band what was the the reason why you guys renamed it. <coughs> I wish it was a more interesting story, uh, but it's just uh, we got a letter from a, uh, a lawyer here out of Nashville saying that, that we had to cease and desist on the name Shadow Boxers because there's a group out of Georgia called the Shadow Boxers. So uh, instead of going to court, we just said, all right, change the name. So, And it's funny enough, we, we came back to, to we played a, a showcase in Nashville, what, I think six months after we changed the name. And there's two posters. There's our poster, and right next to it's the Shadow Boxers. So <laughs> it's a good thing we changed the name, I guess, so we don't confuse people as to who's who. Yeah. And you did uh, the first record was called Living by the Minute under the new name. Uh huh. And then the third record, you came to Nashville mm -hmm. and do something that I highly appreciate for mm -hmm. a lot of reasons. You went over to Welcome to 1979. Yeah. And caught the whole record straight to life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. as live as it can be. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that experience. Uh, that was that was super cool. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris and the guys over at Welcome to 1979, they set up uh, a vibe in, that, in that, that studio that really makes you comfortable. And uh, they're very welcoming. And they allow for great things to happen there just by their attitude and what they do, uh, how they make you feel welcome. So... Um, you know, we got a chance to do this, and I'd never done it before. Um, and the first two takes, because as you do it, you have to play the whole side of the record for people that don't know. You have to play a whole side of the record, and then that's it. You know, so we did three songs with a little space in between. More like a live show. But it, it, was, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I got some killer players, but I felt like we were all being way too safe. And maybe that there wasn't that emotional immediacy that you feel when you play a live show because uh, we didn't want to mess up or something and didn't want it to be recorded forever and ever there's no editing later <laughs> so it took us just a little bit to kind of get into the the mindset that hey if it's not perfect it doesn't matter and um, that's been one element of jazz records I've always enjoyed you know so it was a cool experience to just say you know we are what we are we're going to play with full heart if we hit a wrong note it doesn't matter it's all about the feeling behind it and delivering the song with 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 meaning you know so it was cool yeah and actually <coughs> Jason Isbell followed in your footsteps <laughs> and did a record there I'm too. sure he read all about <laughs> us and was like I'm gonna do what Hoyer's doing no but that's but great yeah. we here at Creative Workshop uh we don't have the ability to cut straight to lathe but I've done few projects going straight to two track which is the same mentality okay yeah and uh I love it. I love all yeah. those old Blue Note records where that's, yeah. you, you know, that's yeah. what you get. Exactly. And uh, a lot of other people went over to Welcome to 1979. Pete Townsend records some yeah. stuff there. He was there right before us. Okay. So that's as, as raw, raw was the title of the album. Cooked that's Raw. As, as, 
yeah. about as you know as immediate as it can be. Yeah, you're so much known as a you know live powerhouse. Have you ever felt a certain struggle to kind of capture that live feel on a record? Yeah. Other than I guess the one you did, Welcome to 1979, which yeah. is the live record. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think just as this band grows, um, we've learned what works and what doesn't work more. Um, on the record we did with Ken Coomer, uh, Running From Love, initially I was playing keys and singing, and then I decided, because we tried to get most of that captured live, um, and then we were just going to do a couple of overdubs on it, because I just really liked the energy of the live performance in the studio. Um but I decided to get off the keys and just just sing and just you know focus on what I'm singing about and allow myself to have that emotion and I think that that really turned the tide for us um, or at least for me I don't know about the rest of the band but uh, you know you vibe off of each other I think if you're if if the the lead singer has that the conviction during the recording process that can really change the vibe of the entire band or you know of the recording in general so that's worked for me so far we'll see what happens on the next one but you know um i think that i don't know we live in an overproduced world in in general there's just so much of what you see and hear and participate in that's all forced and not actually happening it's <laughs> fabricated and you don't know what's the truth anymore so uh you know living in this the world of soul music or roots music in general it's 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 good to just be what you are and let it let it come out and i feel if you don't want to or can't fit a format exactly you're certainly better off being as unique as you can be make that your own thing and you know stand out as as that whatever that might be and you mentioned Kane Coomer. He was drummer in uh, Uncle Tupelo and Wilco before he started his producing career. And he's worked here at Creative Workshop a lot with different artists. Mm-hmm. How did that? How did you make that connection with him? How did he get get to know about you guys? Our guitarist uh, Benjamin Kushner, uh, his friend, which I his name's escaping me now. I'm sorry. Uh, his friend uh, was friends with Ken, and Ken was getting in touch with him about uh, wanting to work on a band or on a project with a band that he was familiar with. Um, something happened with that group, and he said, but you should check out what my friend Benji's working on right now with this guy, Josh Hoyer, and they're playing some soul, funk, and R&B, and he's like, you should check them out. They're a good, good group. And So he listened to what we did, and he gave me a call and just said, I want to make your next record. Uh, it was funny because Ken, uh, he's like, I kind of, I'm kind of pigeonholed as like this, uh, rock or Americana guy, but he's like, I know I live in Nashville, but my heart lives in Memphis. And he's like, I want to, I want to get into recording some great greasy soul funk and R&B records, you know, Stax is huge to him. So he was pretty excited to have us in. That sounds him. I saw him here not too long ago, packing up a set of set of drums and he was in his way to memphis to, to just play drums on a session he was yeah. as happy as he could be cool cool yep uh you work with another couple guys to go in and out uh the studio here and that's uh john coleman who's a 
great keyboard player, uh -huh. and Teddy Morgan. Uh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your collaboration with those two guys? Yeah, uh, John is actually uh, cousins with our label owner out of out of Ashland, Nebraska, Charlie Hole, uh, who owns Silver Street Records. And there's a lot of cool stuff being put out on Silver Street Records out of Nebraska. So if you're interested, please go check that out. Um, but yeah, he's he, they're cousins and. John has had seen us live a few times and really enjoyed what we're doing. And uh, he had some, uh, you know, he's a songwriter, and uh, he he just said, hey, you know, let's make let's carve out some time to try to write a few songs, and just see what happens. And so we we did. We got together for two days and uh, wrote uh, three songs um, together, and uh, it turned out turned out pretty cool, man. Uh, we still haven't released them, but uh, it was a great experience working with him and. And then coming into the studio and being able to work with the, the caliber of musicians that were there for the session, it was really neat. Um, just watching how quickly they work. and I mean, it was like we were in the studio for three hours and then had three really solid tracks. So, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, more recently, you guys did a live record that you cut in, in Belgium, mm -hmm. in Brussels. It's called Live Ancien Belgique. Mm -hmm. And I've that is a great example of, you know, kind of what people see live. That's what, what they get. Right. Was that a record, did you plan on recording or is that after the fact, said, hey, we got this good recording of a show, let's put it out? We planned that one out. Um, and that was, they, they have such a great facility there. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful room and they also have in-house sound and audio, uh, audio and visual. So... You know, we were like, man, we should record this. We'll see how we do performance-wise, but hopefully we can release it. Uh, it was at the end of a uh, 26 shows in 32 days in Europe, so we were we were tired, and that was the last show of the tour. So, but we, we I think we still performed pretty dang well, and um, it was a really great experience. Got to uh, share the bill with a band called Delta Saints here out of Nashville, actually. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, man, that was it was planned out, and uh, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. I got to go over to Europe um, with the Muscle Souls All Stars, and we got a huge response uh -huh. over there. What is it about Europe liking soul music? Is, did you, you know, experience anything any different from here or? Absolutely, or? I did. Yeah, it was it was night and day, and we have great nights in the U.S. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that's different is that you don't have to have a name there. If they see the style of music that they like, if they see that you play, whatever, if you play country, you play blues, you play soul, R&B, funk, whatever. If there's something that, that those folks are interested in, they just go out to see you. And they come out, uh, the coolest thing is that they come out and they want to have an experience. They come right up to the stage. It's not like some U.S. audiences can be pretty rough on you, man. And I understand it. They sit back and they kind of, well, let's see if this dude's for real or whatever. And that's fine, too. But it it seemed like night after night, people just would, they come out in numbers and they just want to be, they want to have an experience. They want music to be that thing where we're all together and it's being, the energy is being exchanged between the crowd and, and the band. And I don't know, man, there's, uh, there's something very, I don't know. I don't know what it is, man. I think marketers have got their hands pretty deep into our, our psyches in, in the U.S. 
and and have have taught us that if somebody doesn't have fame that they're not worth something and it's it's bullshit it just is i mean there's so many great artists that if you just allow yourself to have an experience with them it's it, that's where the magic's at it doesn't matter what their name is or what their pedigree is or if you've seen them on tv or whatever it don't matter yeah i don't think they care about that as much in europe and we as you know independent artists you know independent players we always I, I don't know if struggle is the wrong word but we have to be creative on how to be able to you know market our thing and to kind of you know get the momentum going and build it mm-hmm. uh, one i i say you know marketing opportunity i guess uh maybe more than anything else you tell me but you got to participate in a season of the voice uh-huh. which obviously got your name out there and to me that's kind of a creative way of being able to you know kind of be more visible i guess yeah how did that did you were able to grow maybe your your fan base a little through that or what, what was your like takeaway from that experience um it you know it's a mixed bag like anything else in life uh, but the the way that I saw the opportunity of the voice was it's like uh, back in the day uh, when they first started making 45s, right? And you had your you could actually make your own 45 and then take it down to the radio station, and then they could play it within a three or four state area, right? And then yeah. finally you're heard and you're kind of out there and people are aware of who you. Oh, I heard that on the radio. Maybe I'll go check them out. That's kind of what the modern day version of that is now. You know, to kind of get above the fray of everything else that's going on get on some national tv for just a little bit and so i think that the voice provides a cool uh platform for people to to do that just for a second you kind of just go hey i'm over here if you like what i'm doing come check me out right yeah um but uh it seems also there's there i've met a number of people that that saw the voice performance and then they go and check out our website and uh, have gone to check out other singers, original music, uh, and they, they take the next step, and and they want to know who you are and what what it is you have to offer, and that's awesome. So that's kind of what my hope was: is that okay, we get a chance to to sing in front of millions of people on TV, and then may hopefully they'll check out and see what we do. You know, original music. Um, that's not everybody that watches that show though. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. Because it's it's over central like over sensationalized that 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 whole and that's TV in general, I think. Uh, the performance aspect is it's all the fancy lights and you got this massive crowd and the stars are all there and it's just this big deal, right? It feels like that, and uh, so you have this over sensationalized performance for like a minute and a half. It doesn't last very long either, so. And then you go and you play someplace where people have heard of you because of the TV show, and you're sitting in a corner of a restaurant or a bar, and you're just playing a solo show. Oh, my God, it's so exciting to see you because I saw you on TV. And then you're just sitting there playing your songs, which last four to five minutes for three hours, and it's hard to keep people's attention. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to me. I'm not in any way complaining or whatever. I'm just saying it's it's just really interesting to see that how different the television experience is and how from just a real live setting. How long was, the, 
how time intense was that participation for you? That's something maybe, you know. Hard. I was out there for three months. Three months. Yeah. So it was a substantial chunk yeah. of your time too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mostly perform with your band, but you just recently completed a solo piano record too. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that project? Yeah. Uh, in order to make ends meet, I play solo piano gigs. Uh, just play it mostly. Play covers. Uh, a lot of the music that I write, it's pretty difficult to play on piano because it's very groove oriented and there's just a lot going on horn wise and rhythm wise and things like that. So. Uh, for these solo gigs, I play a lot of cover songs and a few of my original tunes, uh, a number of them from the old band, Sons of 76. And uh, yeah, man, I uh, just figured, and I'd had people ask me, hey, you ever record these things? I really love to listen to you when you're just on your own. So I just went and sat down at the piano for a few hours and recorded them and put them on CD. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And <laughs> I need, it is, I haven't it heard, is what it is. I brother. haven't heard it, so I need to find a way to get a copy on it. Your, your record release party was a little too far away ah. for me to attend. <laughs> I don't know if I have if I have one in the van. I'll give you one. But uh, maybe just you know we're getting towards the end here. But yeah, I get to work a lot in Muscle Shoals, and probably of any body of work coming out of any area, that's my favorite music or some of my favorite music anyway just anywhere between the stables singers be altitude album to john hammond to boss cags and just like that's kind of some of my favorite stuff and obviously it's you know some of the great players there yeah what is just can i get a little bit of your take on like muscle shoals music or some of, of your favorite music coming out of there yeah, I mean, I just, uh, obviously, Dan and Spooner are, are great songwriters. Um, and being able to play with those guys at the Muscle Shoals Review, uh, we got to open for them twice last year. And that was those are some of the best shows I've ever had, just because you get to watch these guys that originated a great deal of, of what we love to play. Um, so... Um, the thing, the thing that kind of strikes me, I think, about it is just that they're just down-to-earth people, um, very little attitude, and that they, they want to serve the song, and it's not, I don't know, there's just something very, very humble about their music, even though it's killer, and they've been on so many records, you know? Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, the, the Aretha Franklin music is wonderful, um, any any kind of uh obviously i love like dark into the streets and um any of the any of the ballads that that were put out i mean i um just love the honesty that's in it and the, the humble origin of it i don't know it's not slick it's not it's not meant to sell anything it's just real good music i don't know that's what does it for me yeah so uh what what's next for you guys um what's next we're working on a new record um so we're going to be recording that one actually up in omaha there's a really cool studio up there that opened up a couple years ago um 
so we'll be working on a new record uh, that'll be released first in Europe when we go back to Europe and then we'll release that stateside I think either late this year or early next year um, and uh, yeah man just working and uh, we got we got some new players in the band that's another thing that's tough for independent musicians where you're out there trying to work and uh, making a few hundred bucks here and there uh, to keep people on the road with you and your band so we've got some great new players and uh, I don't know just looking forward to, to creating with them and uh, meeting some people across the country and playing some good shows we've got some good shows lined up all over the U.S. too so if you take a look chances are we'll be in your area joshhoyer.com yeah man great and just keep following the dream man keep yeah. working at it well you guys have <laughs> safe travels and, and hopefully it'll you know just kind of what happened with you know jason isbell too he you know started out, out pretty humble as a solo artist and was just able to ramp it up you know each year yeah. just a little bigger and a little more right right so uh, i wish all that for you guys for sure thank and you and thank you for being my guest today and if you uh don't mind would you uh play us a couple three songs at the end yeah sure not a problem thank you andres appreciate you. you man see if i make this thing work <laughs> this is a song from my that old man sons of 76 
I got a little bit of money and nothing to pack. Well, I hope and pray that I don't turn back. There's only one place I want to be. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, there were there were rats in my. <laughs> yeah, well, when I lived when I lived in New Orleans, I, when I moved in, I'm just this kid out of Nebraska that living in my van, and uh, my dog would like I hooked him up to the bumper of the van at night because it was so hot. It was August. I had to sleep with all the windows open, so I just put him there by the bumper. He'd watch out for me, but finally got an apartment in the, one of the first couple of days I was in there using the restroom sitting there and I turned over to the side and there's a hole where the sink pipe goes down into the ground and this rat pops out and looks right at me I'm like oh man not in Lincoln Nebraska anymore but <laughs> <laughs> I always like that line from that song it brings back good memories <laughs> that was your welcome committee What's that? The rat was your welcome committee. Yes, that's right. Welcome to New Orleans, man. <laughs> yeah, we all just try to try to live together, right? Maybe I'll do one. I could do another one from that that time if you want. Sure. Because uh, you probably heard some of the other stuff, so maybe I'll just play a couple songs you didn't know. Sounds I can't play any brand new stuff. I don't want it out there yet, but sounds good to me. <laughs> we act like it's that important. It probably isn't, but ah. Uh, yeah, this is a song here called Goodbye Joan. Time 
take everything away If I waited long enough So goodbye, Joe I guess I won't be seeing you around anymore Sorry I never found what you were looking for Yeah, goodbye, John Before you trapped me into telling you that you're not the one, and baby, I would have never let you down. If being true to you was enough, and when you said it was only nothing. I had to leave you at your door And I'm gonna miss coming in to talk a while But I found a new friend, I'm sure So goodbye, Joe I guess I won't be seeing you around here anymore Sorry we never found you were looking for Yeah, goodbye, John Thank you so much. You bet. That's my pleasure, man. This was the 18th episode of the Crazy Chester Radio Hour. We taped it at Buzz Kaysen's Creative Workshop Recording Studio in Nashville. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week. (laughs) 